You're listening to highlights from the Creative Processes interview with Amy Nazuku Matato. This podcast is supported by the Jan Michalski Foundation. And, and so that's and so it's an interesting an interesting classifying and learning about the natural world. I also really appreciated um, there's an uh, essay, and I should say essay. I mean, people think about essays; they think about them as being long, but this is quite addictive reading as well. Like there's short passages where you learn a lot and you will get moved at the same time. And there's the passage about. Um, when you drew a peacock and uh, I also like there's so many of that and uh, so many of those yeah maybe you could talk about that as well it's just it's fascinating for me sure yeah thank you so much Mia that's um you know it's all kind of been slightly overwhelming you know because uh you know my friends know this too the writing of this was so difficult for me because I think as a poet I always had that veil of well, this isn't me. Even if I wrote about some actual experiences, I always had the veil of the speaker of my poems, you know, that kind of thing. Writing nonfiction, my contract with the reader is that, for me, this is me. There is no, you know, I wanted to be as truthful and just remember as carefully as I could um, to remember actual events that happened. So there was nothing to hide behind. I couldn't say, oh, well, this happened to a girl that was like me. <laughs> no, this is me. So there was a lot of vulnerability and nervousness, I guess. Um, and also, you know, just maybe wondering like, who's going to care about a, um, a little Asian American girl who grew up in Kansas, you know, and Arizona and Iowa and Chicago. Um, who's kind of really just a big nerd who loves this planet and loves its inhabitants, you know. There was a lot of people um, who said, no, they passed on this a lot, you know, because they're like, there's just nothing. We haven't seen anything like this. And so in some ways, that was the best thing because it kind of took that pressure off because I kept thinking, well, no one's going to read this. So I'm just going to write about the things that I love and things that I remember about my family's resilience um, and joy and astonishment. I definitely think the things that you love, like you were talking about, uh, nature is just something that's literally, you know, in our DNA for I don't know how many years. And at the core of each person, we can reach that, you know, neuron that we all share um on this earth but um but yeah I wanted to ask because in the beginning I thought it was really interesting what you were saying about how you picked up different things throughout the phases of your life of the same natural event like bird watching so what do you think or how do you think nature or your your shift in viewing these natural events has changed um, your perspective on motherhood or even how you understand motherhood and nature? Gosh, that's such a good, good question. You know, I don't necessarily think that I was completely changed. Motherhood did change me for sure. But I would like to think, I hope to goodness that my loved ones would say, Amy cared about the planet. She cared about the future. She cared about other people that were different than her before I ever became a mother. So first off, that's who I am as a person. I, you know, I hope, I hope to goodness that that's what, how it comes up. Um, Practically though, having a kid 
my heartbeat is on the surface of my body now. <laughs> I know it's a weird macabre image, but my, my vulnerability is at an all time high because I have two kids on this planet. I see kids in a whole different way. I have such a tenderness towards them not because necessarily they're our future, not because they're a part of me that will live on, none of that stuff, but because simply it is a responsibility, the biggest responsibility I will ever have in my life and the, great, the greatest creative project I will ever have in my life to help shape and mold these two hearts that are now outside of my body to be the most stand-up citizens and kind people, you know, to be on this planet, that they, that they would be the best, best parts of me and my husband. I don't want to neglect to mention, of course, in uh, your book, the beautiful illustrations, which just which just complements the the very personal way your your nature writing, you know, moves us. Thank you. Yes. Um, I want to give a shout out to um, an Asian American uh, illustrator. It was very, very important to me to have an Asian American. I wanted this to be illustrated. And then number two, uh, which a lot of publishers freaked out about, they're like, this, we don't, we don't do this. We, we have never done this. Um, so they were not willing to even do anything outside of their, what they had done already before in the past. And then when I said, not only do I want to illustrate it, but I want to find an Asian American illustrator, Milkweed just didn't even flinch. They were just absolutely, you know, give us some names, give us some names. I found this illustrator on Instagram and I just fell in love with her work. It's so extraordinary. Fumi um, Nakamura, Fumi Muni Nakamura, uh, it's just exquisite, just exquisite. Um, I wanted to find an illustrator who could get everything biologically correct, but with maybe 2% whimsy. And many times, um, you know, when I was looking at portfolios, there was maybe like 98% whimsy, 2% biologically correct. Like people would put eyeballs on plants and I'm like, no, that's a little too cartoonish. I want, I wanted people to have that same sense of the vintage science books that I encountered when I was growing up and sitting on the floor of the library where there was usually one color, but you still get to know what this plant or animal is like. And hopefully it piques your interest just enough so that you maybe you go up, go on and look up more about the axolotl or look up more about the vampire squid um, or a dancing frog. Um, so yeah, I just, it, it, I'm so proud that in a book on nature writing, that there's two, not one, but two Asian American author photos now um, in, in the latest edition of this book. So, um, and, and two Asian American, unabashedly Asian American names. There's no mistaking Nakamura and Nezuka Matatil um, on there. And I just love that. So as you reflect on these things, um, you know, what, what would you like to change? What were some of the important life lessons uh, that, that remain with you? Um, you know, what do you tell your children who are growing up now? Mm-hmm. You know, it is a scary time. You know, um, we have, I think coming up now, I'm here in Mississippi again, and I think we have a tropical storm coming up. Um, the frequency of tropical storms is 
increasing. If anybody's watching the news, uh, I just saw earlier this week, it's raining, I think for the first time ever in Greenland. Um, it was kind of horrifying. So it is very easy, uh, especially for a um, person who feels things a lot to just want to be in a fetal position and just put sheets over my head, and stay in bed all day, you know. Uh, I cannot do that <laughs> with two kids around, around the house. And I just thought, you know, well, two things. Here in the South, there's a saying, you know, you catch more flies with honey. Um, you know, meaning, of course, and, I, and there's absolutely, I'm so grateful to the scientists and the scientific writers and the environmental writers who are science-based, who kind of give us the hows and the whys of what's going on to kind of, so that we can understand what's going on and how we can at least slow things down, slow destruction down. That's their specialty, that's their lane. My lane I'm realizing is just kind of asking ourselves, what about if we wrote about what we loved that's, a, that's here on this planet? What if we start from a place of celebrating what we have in abundance rather than our lack? And maybe just maybe, we will want to fight for that abundance. We will want to fight for what's already here and not be lamenting. Uh, although, of course, absolutely. I'm not saying at all to keep our head in the sand about climate change at all, but maybe there's people, because I know it activates me to want to get to work to save the things that we love rather than like want to get to work because someone has scared me and has put fear in me. You know, some people can do that. I, that's when I tend to, for me personally, I, that's when I tend to shut down. <laughs> like, oh no, it's too overwhelming. I can't. But if I'm like, oh, I can fix this patch of forest that our local community is thinking about cutting down to make a new bank or something. Um, and in that forest, there's a bunch of painted buntings or, um, or titmouse uh, birds, or, um, you know, like just a family of summer tan scarlet tanagers, then I can raise awareness on that, that patch of forest. And maybe just maybe when people read about summer tanagers or painted buntings, they'll realize, oh, they rely on these grubs or these worms that are also there. And that we also, I mean, that we're all connected and we'll want to that'll affect eventually like what we eat, you know, and things like that. So that will activate people to like, hey, I don't want this food supply to be ended. Let's save this little patch of forest. Just some way to connect us into getting up off the couch and working locally so that collectively a bunch of little local activisms can, can be this kind of national movement to just being more mindful of what's out there. We hope you've enjoyed listening to these highlights. To listen to the latest episodes or learn more about participating in exhibitions or interviews, click on subscribe. Thank you for listening.